Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Amy Liz Harrison, a new author, and the title of her book tells us what her story is, Eternally Expecting, A Mom of Eight Gets Sober and Gives Birth to a Whole New Life. This is such an important story, a book about addiction, about alcoholism, and finding recovery, being able to truly live. And Liz is completely honest, as we'll discover as we meet her. Amy Liz Harrison, good morning, and thank you so greatly for taking time to be with us this morning. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I am delighted and really just in awe of this opportunity to have a conversation with you because, well, we'll mention the name of your book because I think it speaks volumes about who you are and uh, what our conversation may certainly revolve around. And that is eternally expecting a mom of eight gets sober and gives birth to a whole new life, her own. That is just huge. That's a, a that's a mountain of information in just a title, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I, I, that's, I try to cover all the bases. Yes. Well, you did, and it's it's genius. I feel that it's not like heavy plodding along. It just really gets right to the point, and you you kind of grip us by our shoulders and say, "Look, here it is," and we go, "Okay, you know, tell me more." Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Good. Yes, that was the goal. So you succeeded. But, I mean, it wasn't just a matter of, well, I think I'll write a book. Uh, circumstances, life, of course, presented itself. And then perhaps the pandemic coming along really was the the meeting up of opportunity with a wealth of, of life and information. Mm-hmm. Yes. In fact, the pandemic was an interesting catalyst because I was actually afforded the time to write down my story. And I had been told over the years, oh, you should write a book someday. And and that sort of seemed like this pipe dream, right? Something way off in the distance. And then when the pandemic hit, of course, our schedules were completely turned upside down. But as a mom, you know, I wasn't driving everywhere. I was spending so much more time at home. And it was almost like a side sort of mystery gift on the on the back burner that was put on the front burner at that point in time, which is ironic because it was sort of taking something that could be negative, the pandemic, and bringing something positive out of that time. And that's sort of how I feel like my story has also gone, is that circumstances that look negative to the naked eye turned out to be I mean, this is the best thing that ever happened to me is getting sober and learning to use tools that actually work uh, when I'm stressed out and when, um, you know, I'm having trouble accepting life on life's terms. And a clear head uh, helps me to do that. And so it's just kind of interesting. It all kind of came together. And, you know, that is probably so much of what I love about how you approach your life and the writing the book to be just completely open, honest, upfront. It, it it goes beyond words, what that meaning is 
for for anyone who will find the book, who will choose to pick it up, who will choose to read it and learn from it. I, it it's just I, I'm really so impressed and in awe of you, this desire of yours to be so openly honest. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. One thing that I um, can say about the whole honesty piece is that it seems like such a foreign concept. I mean, my alcoholism was very hidden. I tried very hard until I really couldn't hide it anymore. But I mean, I really took care in trying to do some impression management and to make sure that nobody was, quote, catching on, unquote. And, uh, you know, I think that's the thing about addiction that is so um, it's shameful. And so it becomes this secretive world that I felt like I couldn't share with anybody because quite frankly, I was so wrapped up in the disease that I just really didn't believe that things would be better on the other side. Couldn't see how that was going to work. So I really tried my best like a security blanket basically for a baby to just protect what I had going, even though it wasn't really working very well. Amy Liz. I'm going to take an aside here because of your mentioning that security blanket, that that is a parallel that goes on the way you use it as a structure in your book, comparing the whole process of pregnancy with what you went through to become sober. And as the title says, you know, giving birth to a whole new life, your own. Mm -hmm. So that parallel was deliberate or it just came to you that that made sense. In my mind, that had been sort of rolling around, and then it did. It just kind of came together. I started writing. I started putting some chapters together, and it sort of organically bubbled out, if that makes any sense at all. It was kind of one of those, let me write about what I know. Okay, I know my personal experience and journey with alcohol, and I know my personal experience and journey with eight pregnancies and childbirth and postpartum issues. And so it just kind of naturally started unfolding. Well, my feeling about that kind of thing when it naturally unfolds is what was meant to be. It's not like predestined, but it's just, oh, obviously this is really it. This is what I need Mm -hmm. to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the experience that I had. You said that so well. <laughs> well, but I've just kind of noticed that in life, in my own experiences, but in that of others, that there's just kind of this, like a poetic form to it, the way it evolves. If we choose to use it, and it then all can really fall into place, it just feels so natural, yes. Absolutely. And for me, one thing that I feel like has resonated so heavily with me is that What I was really searching for in the bottle was actually what I found when I quit drinking. And what I was searching for when I was drinking was that feeling of belonging, that feeling of connection to other people, and that feeling of, you know, I'm going to go to this party and we're all going to be drinking. We're going to start feeling really good after two drinks. And then I'm going to go home with 75 best friends. (laughs) You know, it's kind of how I imagined things would be. And for a while, 
it did work that way for me. It was lots of fun and it was a great social lubricant. It was a great connection point, you know, did the whole thing about, oh, let's go to this wine tasting weekend and then we'll have this neighborhood, you know, games night or whatever. And everybody's going to bring a different bottle of wine. And so it was a lot of fun until I started realizing, gosh, you know, I'm only really happy and relaxed in those situations. And so then I started to have a glass of wine at nap time when my kids were down resting. And then I started to have, oh, maybe a couple of glasses of wine before I made dinner. And it just kind of snowballed from there. It sort of accelerated without my acknowledgement that that was happening until suddenly I had this big secret, which was, I think that the drinking is controlling me and I'm no longer controlling it. And that was pretty terrifying, but I still had this weird, I guess it was a hope that if I just pumped the brakes a little bit, I could just get back to drinking normally. And by normally, what I mean is that, you know, when I first started out drinking, it wasn't like, boom, I took off running and was drunk every day. It was just a very slow progression for me. And, you know, there's a lot of different theories on alcoholism and that's fine. But for me personally, what it was, was a very slow progression until it wasn't. And then all of a sudden I was on this roller coaster that I couldn't get off of. And I'm sort of confused and baffled as to how I even got there. And so when I realized I really couldn't stop, that was when I started to get pretty scared. But still at that point, wouldn't admit that this was something that was out of my hands because I just couldn't picture what my life was going to look like without it. I mean, it was kind of my treat. And sadly, you know, I couldn't see that what I thought was my treat was actually killing my spirit and damaging my body physically. And that all came in time. But, um, you know, that realization that when there's that still small voice, whatever it is, intuition or some kind of spirituality or religion or whatever it is for people, that when that happens and that spark is sort of there that's kind of telling you, "Mm, this isn't right, it's not serving you well, That is what I kept trying not to listen to. And it never sort of went away. And so then when I found myself, you know, in the back of an Issaquah police car and watched my neighbor drive away with my kids and I had gotten pulled over and gotten this DUI and it was this reality check. It was like, okay, do you hear me now? Mm. (laughs) Like that little spark was inside of me going, do you hear me? Because you have a second chance at this point. And it's up to you if you're going to actually make any changes. And so that night in King County Jail was kind of when I really had um, a watershed moment and really decided that, you know what? I don't know if I can get sober. I don't know if I'm still going to have a family after I get out of here, but I have to try because if I don't try, the alternative is more of this, you know, and I was just sitting in this jail cell and 
you know, just emotionally just devastated and broken and really had that feeling of complete and utter failure and just emotional shock and turmoil. And so, you know, it was kind of one of those things where I just really had to, I mean, I didn't feel like getting sober, right? You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like I was like, okay, it's time. It was just, it was so clear and so obvious that it was basically the only choice that I had if I wanted any semblance of my old life, if I wanted to still have the people in my life, I was going to need to try. Oh, Amy Liz, that is just an incredible, stark picture that we can mm. get in our minds as to how how broken you must have felt. Mm. But yet there was that spark. I guess there's that hope and and there's the message for any of us to know that there still is that spark that is alive in us if we want to fan that little spark and make it grow and flame, right? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's just so interesting because looking back, I can see so clearly how I really was trying to diminish all those things inside of me that made me me, you know, feeling uncomfortable and feeling, you know, going to a party and feeling like, you know, oh gosh, I have nothing to add to this conversation. Or, I mean, we all have situations where we just feel a little bit like maybe walking into a scenario with a little bit of fear and trepidation. And it's sort of like, okay, welcome to life. That happens from time to time. And here's the newsflash. It's okay. (laughs) I think I think I thought it wasn't okay to feel uncomfortable. And so any feeling that I didn't like, I started drinking over, right? Anytime I felt rejected. And and what I would do is play into those narratives that I was creating in my mind that weren't accurate. They weren't even true narratives. They were completely fabricated stories that I was spinning Mm. based on my perception of what was going on in my life. And the more I tried to be grateful for what I had, I really had this feeling of just a shattered, almost like a rope that was just coming unraveled. I just really wanted to throw that rope around this solid piece of gratitude and just pull myself over there. Mm. But, you know, I couldn't. And there were other things. I had some postpartum depression that I never treated and until a certain point anyway. And just some stuff that I just let go on. I, I just really didn't put therapy on uh, any kind of a priority list for myself. I really didn't put connecting with others who maybe struggled with the same issues that I struggled with, you know, whether that's things from my past or whatever. I just really did not make that a priority because I thought, you know what, I'm mom. I got to pull it together and I, you know, I don't want anything to look bad. So I'm just going to keep spinning these plates until they crashed. So that for me was, I mean, that's my biggest probably message for other women or, or men, stay-at-home parents or not, um, or really, truly anybody who just has that kind of 
deep sense of authentic longing and connection is that really it's never going to be found in the bottle or drugs or food or sex or whatever you want to substitute it with. It's just that self-care and it's that seeking of, you know, what is the root of what I'm feeling and what are some needs that maybe need to be addressed that I'm not addressing and that I'm worth it and that my family is worth it. And really when I made that connection finally, and it took two times in rehab for me, but when I got to that point where I really thought, you know what, I actually, I think I am worth it. I think me as a person, not as a mom, not as a wife, daughter, friend, I think I might be worth a better life. And when I started to believe that and set aside all of those lies about who I was and wasn't and all of that focus and those shame spirals of, you know, waking up and just hating myself, I started to do that footwork and it came in time. It came. I really grew into feeling like this was something that was going to actually be like a light bulb. It was going to provide light and healing. And it did. Sobriety has just done that. And I mean, snowballed, completely snowballed for me. And, you know, everybody's story is different. And it just so happened that my husband stayed with me and walked me through all that. And as a result, has seen a ton of changes in his own life and areas where he used to be super sort of rigid and judgmental. He is really backed up now because Addiction kind of naturally does that when you face these things in your life that are, you know, these powerful experiences that affect you. And of course, I thought I was only hurting myself, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but, you know, obviously he was standing there with the shrapnel and just trying to pick up the pieces and hold it together after this devastating event of this DUI. And so the two of us, grew even closer together through all of this, through me making a complete disaster of my life to getting help and healing. And that's another thing, just little sidebar that I wanted to say is that there, I believe there are many different ways to get sober. I don't think there's one size fits all for everybody. For me, it happened to be a 12 step fellowship. Uh, But there are many paths, and I think that that was a key part to my healing was being open um, because I was really not looking forward to going to a bunch of church basements and, you know, meeting with old guys who are sitting around smoking. That was not my idea, you know, of a good time. And, you know, it's just interesting the way things pan out because now that's where I go to find peace and solace, as strange as that sounds. But again, I had to open my mind to that whole path of, well, if I look at this differently, or if I walk into a situation and open my mind and don't have prejudgments about it, who knows what could happen, right? It could just open a door of possibilities. And that's what happened for me. And so it's not like today, my life is fantastically perfect all the time absolutely is not. Life is relentless, right? And it just keeps coming at us. And so now my challenge is 
to stop and just go, okay, what's happening here? I'm feeling stressed out. I'm feeling whatever it is, you know, out of control or powerless or uh, like I don't know what to do in this situation. And then I just kind of am able to use my tools, whether that be work on a spiritual connection that I have, whether that's calling somebody else I know in my 12-step fellowship um, and just reaching out and saying, hey, I'm feeling this way, that has made all the difference because I'm no longer a secret, right? So I'm only as sick as my secret. And that's a kind of a popular phrase in the addiction um, world, I should say recovery world. But it's, it's very true, is that if I'm a secret and if I'm not open and honest about how I'm doing and what's really going on and how I'm viewing things, I can't get better. I can't get that shift in perspective until I get honest. And Mm -hmm. so that's what I work on today. So beautiful. And again, so honest. Your story is a story we need to hear that really needs to be broadly shared because we can see the the broken people the the broken lives all around us especially on the streets and to to be able to convey to them there there is this hope you need to trust that whatever stories like you said the stories these lies you tell yourself until you decide yeah. to really just stop and and seek yeah. help and and share right absolutely and that you know, the, the fear of failure and the fear of what's going to happen next and what about this, that, or the other thing, or, I mean, I had a thousand fears and excuses. And the thing about it is, is anything was better than what I was doing. Mm. <laughs> I mean, truly. And even if I failed, you know, 10,000 times, and, and when I say fail, I mean, the definition of that word is, is so interesting anyway, because what would failure even look like if I'm trying, that's not really failure in my mind, but I think I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I have this just deep conviction to communicate a message that if somebody had told me, Hey, the, the internal peace, And joy, like deep-rooted joy, not just circumstantial happiness, but deep peace and joy that you will have if you quit drinking, that is going to be life-changing. I I don't know. I might have actually tried earlier. Who knows? But I believe everything kind of unfolded in its time because it did. It just needed to. That's how I feel like it was just kind of meant to be in the universe laid it out that way for me and for my family. And I'm okay with that. It just was what it was and it takes what it takes. And for some people, you know, it takes a little bit longer. It takes a few more tries and I don't know. To me, it's a miracle. I mean, I celebrated a decade of sobriety in April and I'm here to tell you, I didn't think I could get, three days sober. I mean, there was a time where I just, you know, every minute was a struggle. And so to put those hours together and watch them turn into days 
which turned into weeks, which turned into months, which turned into a couple of years. And then all of a sudden I had 10 years. I, I just, I mean, I still think it's amazing because I couldn't walk to my mailbox without taking a drink. You know, that, that was my life. That was my every day at the very end. And so, um, you know, I think of it as a medical and spiritual miracle in a way, because just to be that depressed and that broken and I mean, to not have that burden anymore, it's just night and day for me. It's just, my whole world has changed. My whole perspective has changed. And it's one of those things that when I'm on a news spot or something and, you know, I've got the makeup on and the hair done and I'm in this nice outfit or whatever, I just really try and shove it in there if I get a chance to say, like, don't let this appearance fool you. (laughs) You know, like I was the one wandering around in my bathrobe in my neighborhood at six at night. And I didn't know if it was six in the morning or six at night. I mean, there were some dark days at the very end of my drinking. So I think sometimes people will find it a little bit hard to relate and they'll think, you know, whatever, you look like you're your life together or whatever. Well, that may be true to a small extent, but that's only because of sobriety. <laughs> so I try and stress the message that whatever area in life might be a broken area, gosh, when healing, which is scary, but when healing is the priority by choice and you just kind of do it, right? And then start to get your footing and, you know, you turn around and you look and see your footprints behind you and see how far you've come. It's just contagiously encouraging to just keep on the path. And just, I mean, the years go by and I just can't believe, it just keeps getting better. And by better, I mean that I gain more tools. I meet more people. I get a chance to share my story with somebody else who's hurting And that's the stuff, I mean, that's that connective tissue that really, for me, binds me to other human beings. And that's what I was looking for the whole time in the bottle was that feeling of usefulness, that I wasn't just a waste of space, you know, and that feeling that I was actually able to make a difference in somebody's life and that feeling of being known and accepted despite my flaws and despite my past. Because for me, when I realized that my past has become my greatest asset, it's made all the difference. It's sort of like makes all of that pain not be in vain. And to watch my kids and the healed relationships with them and watch them see that, hey, recovering out loud is okay. And it actually benefited them. I mean, it's a very common topic in our household, drugs and alcohol and, you know, filling the hole in your soul. And what are we filling, you know, the hole in our soul with today? And what could we replace that with? You know, well, we could take a walk. We could, you know, meditate. We could pray, whatever it is that is one of the tools that we're working on. And to just reframe whatever situation is going on in our life. 
Like I didn't know how to do any of that stuff before getting into the recovery world. And I mean, that sort of seemed like this weird unicorn that was kind of out there like a mirage. Maybe it existed, but I wasn't sure about that. And so it is fascinating and it's just so fulfilling to even see my kids adopt some of these principles in their own life. And, you know, it's amazing. We, my husband and I, we ended up having a surprise fifth baby. And then we had three more because we didn't want her to grow up alone (laughs) because we had seen uh, what a joy it was for my first four to grow up together and set our first four together to grow up uh, as siblings. And it's been a journey that I never, ever expected, of course, but uh, I mean, I wouldn't choose it any other way, including getting that DUI and going through all those hard days, getting sober, those early days. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. Well, I must say, first, congratulations on 10 years of sobriety, but also to say Thank that you. I think you are just such an ideal or perfect or just the spokeswoman for sharing this kind of a healing journey to give encouragement and hope to so many. So too quickly, though, our time is winding down. So I want to make sure that everyone listening knows that there's this incredible book where you can get just more insights into the story, where you might find that you resonate with some of Amy Liz's life or not, but there will be some touch points, I think, and that's eternally expecting. So let's mention your website for one, Amy Liz. Yes, it's amylizharrison.com. And I'm at Amy Liz on Instagram and basically all the platforms, Amy Liz Harrison. So And one other thing is that you have your own podcast, too, which will just keep the story moving outward and is a great opportunity so people can find your podcasts uh, on KKNW, for one. Yes, they can. And it is also on uh, my website as well and the different platforms where you can listen to it. And it's called Eternally Amy. Which, again, perfect title, just as things evolve in life, right, Amy Liz? Right. <laughs> right. Well, what did I tell you? I love a theme. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been just so, so wonderful. I really appreciate you. I appreciate that you've given us this much time and insight into your life and all the encouragement. Uh, thank you so greatly. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's It's been an honor and a pleasure, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Amy Liz Harrison and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Catherine Athens. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I'll get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or to share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Simply click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest name. I now wish you and your family a day of finding, expressing the love and the compassion that we are. Have a week of the same, and then... 
please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. And when we do meet again next week, it will be 2022. So I hope your entry into this new year is peaceful, hopeful, and loving. Good morning.